Hi, we're here from Curiosity.com to help you get smarter in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about how researchers are manufacturing robots that are half the width of a human hair in the second edition of our Microscale Mondays miniseries. You'll also learn about a science-backed way to stop the hiccups. Let's satisfy some curiosity. How do you produce robots that are half the width of a human hair? You're about to learn how in the second edition of our Microscale Mondays miniseries. Our guests for this series are Itai Cohen, professor of physics at Cornell University, and Paul McEwen, director of the Kavli Institute at Cornell for Nanoscale Science. They agree that the robots we're talking about are pretty small, but here's Paul McEwen on what makes their tiny production possible. It's incredibly small, but fortunately here at Cornell, we have basically the country's best academic nanofabrication facility, the Cornell Nanofabrication Facility, where the latest and greatest tools for making small things exist uh, in a giant suite of tools that a student can go in and do a very sophisticated set of processes to make these small structures. And again, the basic core technology is stolen from 60 years of Moore's law of learning how to make smaller and smaller computer chips. And then we're just adapting this technology to uh, go beyond just information processing and making things that can actually move. So in the end, it's the, the fabrication looks a lot like you're making a, some sort of computer device. You have a wafer that goes through a series of lithographic processes where metals are dropped down or semiconductors or what have you. And then it's only at the very last step you drop it in an etchant that sets them free and etches them off the substrate and you get in thousands or even millions of these devices off of a single wafer. And I should say that's something that's very special about this fabrication approach that we use is it's, it's massively parallel. In other words, we don't make these things one at a time. You don't sit there and try to construct them individually. You make a giant array of them. We take a sheet of material that might be 10 atoms thick, and then it folds up into this, this robot. So indeed, we're working with paper for our origami that can go down to even uh, a couple of atoms thick. So when you get, if you succeed, if your fabrication succeeds, you end up with, again, thousands, millions, or even billions of them. And as a result, the actual cost per little tiny robot can be tiny. If these went to manufacture, they could easily cost less than a cent apiece. Wow. But, but how many would you need working together to make it useful? Well, that's an interesting question. It's a, a pretty active area of research, this idea of collective motion and behavior of, of swarms of robots. We could envision it going either way. We could envision these machines acting independently, following some chemical gradient, maybe attacking a tumor. Uh, instead of having uh, the surgeon's scalpel cut it out, these robots would chew it up individually. Or you could imagine uh, the robots behaving as some sort of collective whole. And there, it's a little bit more complicated to think about how do you give these robots cues, light-driven cues, chemical cues, thermal cues, and design the interaction rules um, sufficiently simply and yet robustly to get them to do something that you want in concert. And this might sound like science fiction, but if you think about ant colonies or uh, the way bees communicate with one another, these are very simple interaction rules that lead to fantastic behaviors uh, of these organisms. Yeah, they're just following an algorithm. Algorithms are great, but how do these machines actually move around? Don't worry, we'll get into that next Monday. You just heard from Itai Cohen, and before that, you heard from Paul McEwen. They're physicists at Cornell University, and you can learn more about them and their research in today's show notes. There's a science-backed way to stop the hiccups, and fair warning, it's a weird one. 
We've all heard of holding your breath or having someone scare you or eating a spoonful of sugar or drinking a glass of water until you just can't breathe anymore. Or drinking a glass of water upside down. Yeah. Well, this is not one of those things. But before we get into this cure, let's back up a second. First, what is a hiccup? Hiccups are involuntary contractions of the diaphragm. Your vocal cords close every time it contracts. The result? And here's something weird. We don't really know why hiccups happen. We do know some things that cause them. Eating too much or too fast, eating dry bread, eating spicy food, drinking fizzy drinks or booze, a sudden change in temperature, gas in your stomach. Yeah, it's a pretty long list. All of those things tickle your phrenic nerve. That's a nerve that starts in your neck and goes right between your lungs and your heart, all the way to your diaphragm, right where the hiccups happen. But you've got to hit a different nerve if you want to get rid of the hiccups. That's called the vagus nerve. This nerve is like a superhighway inside your body. It goes from your brain down through your face and down your torso all the way to the bottom of, well, your bottom. The vagus nerve controls the stuff you don't have to think about, like your breathing and your heart rate. You know, the stuff that keeps you alive. No big deal. This nerve can also help relax your muscles. Muscles like your diaphragm. See where this is going? Many hiccup cures are meant to stimulate the vagus nerve, which in turn gets your diaphragm to chill out. So stuff like gargling or yanking on your tongue. But there's no guarantee these methods will work every time. And sometimes desperate times call for desperate measures. So here's something else you can try if your hiccups just won't stop. Here goes. Digital rectal massage. That's digital as in your fingers and rectal as in your butt. No, I'm not kidding. So back in the 80s, there was a guy who couldn't stop hiccuping after 72 hours, like 30 times a minute for three straight days. He tried every cure in the book, but nothing worked. Enter Dr. Francis Fessmeyer. He'd read a study where digital rectal massage lowered a patient's rapid heartbeat by stimulating the vagus nerve. So Fessmeyer quit using all those classic vagus nerve tricks from up front, and he opted for a less traditional approach, from behind. And it worked. In 2006, the study earned him an Ig Nobel Prize. That's the Nobel Prize parody for silly and unusual but very real scientific research. Aren't you glad we got to the bottom of that one? Before we recap what we learned today, we want to quickly remind you to please nominate Curiosity Daily to be a finalist in the 2019 Podcast Awards. You can find a link to that in today's show notes, and you can find our show in the categories of People's Choice, Education, and Science and Medicine. If our show makes you happy, then this is a great way to return the favor to Ashley and me. And now let's recap what we learned today. Today we learned that researchers can build robots that are half the width of a human hair, at a cost of less than a penny apiece. And that you can cure the hiccups by stimulating your butt. Or if you've got a friend with the hiccups, you can just threaten to do this and then it'll scare them (laughs) and then they'll stop hiccuping. (laughs) I don't know if that's science, but it's funny. You can try it. Join us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Stay curious. Stay curious.